The next case was presented by Dr. Moss to Dr. Natalie. This is a 64-year-old male with a stage 4 adenocarcinoma of the lung. This is based on the old staging. His primary tumor was in the right upper lobe, and he had a second tumor in the right lower lobe, a smaller tumor. With his workup in terms of CT scans and PET scan was otherwise negative. His smoking history was he had smoked in the past, but he had quit 30 years ago. How did he present? He actually presented with coughing at his annual checkup shortly before I saw him, and a chest X-ray was done, which revealed the right upper lobe mass. Bob is leaving out the critical thing that he left out with me as he led me down the primrose path as well, that the reason this guy gets an annual chest evaluation is that he had a heart transplant in 1990. (laughs) Well, I was coming to that. (laughs) Amazing. Why did he have the heart transplant? (laughs) He'd had a previous cabbage, a triple cabbage, in 1978, and I don't know specifically what happened after that point, whether it was due to more ischemic heart disease or something else that occurred. I don't know the details. And he was on immunosuppressive therapy when he was diagnosed, or still is? He still is, yes. He's on cyclosporin. Just parenthetically, Ron, do we know anything about the incidence of second cancer or incidence of cancers in people in immunosuppressive therapy, specifically lung cancer? Yeah, the incidence has increased a bit, and it's not unusual for heart transplant patients, and I see a lot of them in my institution where one of the major transplant centers in the western United States where the diagnosis of lung cancer is made you know, a few years later, a couple of years later, and so this is not a history that I'm unfamiliar with. So just sort of globally, before we get back to this patient, Ron, any issues in terms of selection, for example, systemic therapy in the patient who's on immunosuppressive therapy? Oh, absolutely. And we will talk about that as Bob tells you more about this case, because this was the case that we started our afternoon with. And boy, we could spend an hour talking about all the related issues. This is an important case. Okay, well, let's continue then. All right, let me give you another piece of his past medical history. About a year after his heart transplant, which was in 1990. In 1991, he apparently developed a lymphoma. Wow. And this was diagnosed on a lung biopsy. He had splenomegaly. And he and his wife, they're both intelligent people, and they give a very clear history of this. I don't have the histology. I don't know exactly what they were talking about. Of course, we do know lymphomas occur on immunosuppressive therapy. And the interesting part was that he was treated by reducing his immunosuppression, and the lymphoma resolved completely and has not returned. Wow. You just met him recently, I guess. So you weren't involved at that point? I met him one year ago. Wow. So, uh, yeah, way after, way, way after this happened. Well, you know, you read about that. Have you seen it yourself in your own practice, Bob? I haven't seen it, but I don't see that many patients on immunosuppression. So I'm not a good person to ask. Well, even so, you have a busy general practice. So what happened in terms of treatment? Well, I was certainly concerned about him being on immunosuppression. And of course, with this history of lymphoma in the past also related to the immunosuppression. So I gave it a lot of thought and felt that if possible, I wanted to avoid steroids. So I started him on carboplatin gemcitabine as the primary therapy simply based on trying to avoid any more immunosuppression. 
How did he do on the Jim Carbo? Actually, I think he had a mixed response. The primary seemed to shrink, but the lower lobe tumor increased in size. So it was mixed, and I was uncomfortable with that. And at that time, as I was saying to Ron, I bit the bullet and felt that we would put him on pemetrexid at that point, which we did. What happened? He did well for quite some time. He has recently relapsed just a few months ago, and I put him on docetaxel, using steroids both times for the pemetrexid and the docetaxel. And just getting back to the pemetrexid course, about how long was he on it, and how did he tolerate it? He was on it for six to eight months. Any side effects or toxicities? He had fatigue, but he tolerated it quite well. So is he still on docetaxel? He is on docetaxel, yes. Anything else you want to say about him before we start discussing it, just to kind of bring it up to date? I see something about a brain mat. Yeah, he also developed, not too long ago, a small brain metastasis, a single one that we treated with gamma knife. So, Ron, I guess there's a lot you can say about this case. What are some of the key points? So it's a 64-year-old man, had a heart transplant when he was 44, who was followed carefully now with serial CTs, etc., and he's found to have a right upper lobe mass and a tiny right lower lobe nodule and gets a biopsy that says adeno and a PET scan that says that disease is confined to those two areas. So the first thing I asked Bob, he says, well, did you consider surgery? And he did. He had brought this to his tumor board, and his thoracic surgeon said, this guy's not a surgical candidate. And I was scratching my head a little bit there, thinking, well, why? And what do you do when you're in private practice and you've got a closed community of doctors that you work with all the time? You know, is this the kind of patient that you send up the street to the academic center to get another opinion and burn some bridges in the process or not? Do you think that they were mainly concerned because of the prior history of the heart transplant? or what Oh, abso- absolutely. And as we got more into it, it was clear that here's a patient who may have had a right upper lobectomy, maybe a wedge resection of the tiny nodule in the right lower lobe. We didn't have the CT scans to review to let me know if he would have required a right pneumonectomy, which obviously would have made him a very high risk. I happen to know the thoracic surgeon that Bob consulted, and this is a bona fide, good thoracic surgeon, one of the pioneers in VATS surgeries. So this isn't a cardiothoracic surgeon who is doing a lot of extra lung cancer work on the side. This is somebody who's got a lot of street smarts and is extremely skilled. And I think that when you get that kind of a back away from doing surgery, I think Bob did the right thing and decided, okay, I'm going to go with a chemotherapy regimen that I normally use in the advanced disease setting and do it in this patient who's got locally advanced disease. The next issue was cyclosporin. I understand Bob's reluctance to want to use steroids, the three days of dexamethasone that would be required with pemetrexid or with other regimens, and Carbogem does offer an attractive alternative. But this guy had adenocarcinoma, and I think this issue of wanting to avoid steroids in this patient versus going with what we believe is the more effective regimen, a pemetrexid-containing regimen, was a little bit of a toss-up for me. I might have bitten the bullet and gone with pemetrexid, probably shaved back 
the doses of dexamethasone a bit to try to be on the safe side. I think my experience in giving chemotherapy drugs in patients who are on cyclosporin is you have to start off conservatively in all cases because cyclosporin does augment the toxicities of all chemotherapy drugs as far as I'm concerned. So I think that was a concern. Bob gave Carbogem, got a mixed response, switched to single-agent pemetrexid, and got stabilization or minor response for a period of time, had to deal with the brain met that was treated successfully with gamma knife. It now is on to docetaxel for a patient who, you know, unfortunately has got a bad lung cancer that's going to bring a remarkably successful heart transplant history to an end sometime in the next year or so. And what about the issue of bevacizumab, Bob? Was that something you considered? I don't think I particularly considered it at that time. Yeah. And I think with a heart transplant, a guy who's got vascular disease by definition, I think the risks of bevacizumab far outweighed the potential benefit in this case. And we know that at least from the AVAIL study, that combining bevacizumab with GEMSAR-based regimens, and that may be one of the key of why ECOG 4599, bevacizumab combined with ataxane, maybe that's part of the reason that the results were different. But at least combined with GEMSAR, we don't have strongly supportive data. As long as we're bringing this up, and I guess it also reflects back on the first case, Ron, what about the issue of bevacizumab Pemetrexid and carboplatin. And I've seen in the last couple of years, certainly in clinical investigators, a real shift towards that regimen. How does that enter? And not so much in this patient, but just in general. Yeah, and I use a lot of that regimen myself. That's become my preferred first line regimen for patients with non squamous cell, non small cell lung cancer, as long as there are not some of these other issues that would make me back off of bevacizumab. A pilot study was performed by Jody Patel at Northwestern that demonstrated a fairly impressive response rate of 55% in 51 patients and a median survival of 14 months. So that combination of bevacizumab with pemetrexid and carboplatin is being put to the test of a randomized phase 3 trial now, comparing it to carboplatin, paclitaxel, and bevacizumab, sort of the standard ECOG regimen. Now, we expect, of course, that that's going to be a positive study. That should show that the pemetrexid regimen with carboplatin and bevacizumab is superior to the paclitaxel regimen with carboplatin bevacizumab, simply because pemetrexid is so much more effective in patients with non-squamous cell, non-small cell lung cancer than are taxanes. It won't answer the question of whether bevacizumab confers the same advantage to survival when you add it to carboplatin pemetrexid that it has showed in ECOG 4599 when it was added to carboplatin paclitaxel. That will require another study. One thing about this patient, and Ron, I think will probably follow up, is that it would be a little unfair to say he's blasé about the diagnosis, but he takes this in stride. Every time we've discussed it, when he's had evidence of progression and we've talked about changing therapy, he's taken it in stride. You know, Doc, well, what do we do next? And Ron pointed out something to me from his experience. Yeah, that's typical of these heart transplant patients. Once they've gotten a new heart, they seem to be much more matter-of-fact about some of the things that life throws at them. 